chapter 3, starting at verse 10, the Bible says this. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? Verse 12, God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, your worship, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent, them, has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time to just sit and learn from your word. God, I pray right now that you would do as I said before, and you would open the hearts of people to receive from your word and uh, open the ears of people to take in everything that you have to say to them today. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us to not only get the knowledge that you have for us, but that you would give us a deeper understanding of uh, the topic that you are speaking to us today. And um, Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, to see our need for having the right identity and identifying you as our God. God, so I, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, my apologies because I forgot to give you the title of the message. Uh, and the title of our message today is going to be Identity Crisis. Identity crisis. Um, you know, it's so funny um, because like, we live in a day and age where identity uh, and how you identify yourself is very much at the forefront of a lot of our politics, uh, very much at the forefront of a lot, a lot of our corporate policies, very much the forefront of a lot of what we see going on in the mainstream culture today. And I'm going to get into that in a little bit. Um, but I want to ground us in these, uh, these opening verses just to give us a little bit of context here. Okay. Uh, so let's go back to verse 11 in Exodus. All right. So verse 11 tells us, uh, now, God has come to Moses, and he's in the burning bush, and he tells Moses that Moses is going to go not only to the people of Israel and tell them that he's going to deliver them, okay, from oppression in Egypt uh, after 400 years, but he also tells him that he's going to need to go before Pharaoh, okay, to make this same declaration, and Here's the interesting part of this. In, in verse 11, it says, but Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? 
you know, and it's interesting because these two questions highlight the fact that Moses saw that he lacked the authority before Pharaoh and he lacked the authority before the people of Israel, okay, to go and, and speak into any of their situations, okay? And what's great about this is that, you know, Moses didn't turn around and say, okay, great, I'm up for this. You know, I've been training for this my whole life. No, that wasn't his approach at all. Like, he understood that it wasn't anything that was within his power to make that sort of change, okay? And in realizing that, like, he was basically saying, God, like, how am I going to do this? And, you know, a lot of times in life, like, God does the same thing to us. He challenges us to get outside of our comfort zone and to do and to say things um, that, you know, we don't feel like we have the authority to do. Like, how many of you have ever tried to share the gospel with some of your family and friends? All right. And, you know, you go and you tell them uh, about the greatness, the goodness of God. And, you know, their first response to you is like, who are you to be all, all holy and, and say these things to me? Like, I know you. I know who you were before this so-called God that you're trying to bring up to me. Right. And they're so willing to bring up your past that they cannot see who you are in the present because they have a mistaken identity, okay? They don't know who you are in the now. They only see you who you were in the past, okay? And this is the reason, well, we're going to get into the reasons why uh, identity are so important, but, um, you know, Moses recognized this, all right? And, you know, I, I think it's great that uh, even though he recognized his own sort of lack of authority or, or weakness in his, his, his status, okay, God was willing to elevate him anyway just because everyone, uh, uh, everyone who comes to God, uh, we all have certain abilities and things that we, um, that we can put on display. I don't care if it's, uh, you know, something as simple as, um, you know, being able to prepare food or, you know, you, uh, you're an accountant and you're great with numbers. Like, we all have these different abilities that we're blessed with, okay? Uh, but, you know, when God is asking you to do big things, when God is asking you to do things that exceed other people's expectations, he's not going to give you those things until you absolutely need them, okay? And this is what he's preparing Moses for in this moment, okay? Um, because... When we drop down to verse 14, all right, now uh, Moses has protested a couple of times. You know, uh, you know he, told, he told God, if I go to the people and tell them, you know, uh, who should I say sent me? All right, and this is what God replies to him in verse 14. <laughs> I think this is great. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Okay. What more powerful statement is there than that? I am who I am, okay? And for many people, that doesn't, you know, resonate. Uh, so let me explain that a little bit. 
okay? When you are the all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing God, the creator and the sustainer of everything in the universe, you can make this statement. I am who I am. I exist because it is my will to exist. All right? No one else can make this statement outside of God, and we'll see later on, outside of Jesus, okay? No one else can make this statement with as much boldness and clarity and have people understand it, okay? So God replies to Moses, I am who I am, and then he follows it up and says, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you, okay? So God wasn't only declaring his state of being and his state of always being, okay, uh, but he was taking, he was claiming rights to that identity because no one else can claim that except him, okay? So let's move to verse 15 uh, because then he goes a little bit further and then the Bible says this, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Here's what's funny. Um, if you look at many of the problems that we face today in society, they come as a result of people not having a right relationship with God, a right identity of who God is, a right identity of who even they themselves are, okay, in relation to God. And the most important part of this is that when we look at a person's identity, a person's identity will determine how they relate to the rest of the world, okay? It'll determine the lens by which they see things, okay? It will, it will almost always be a manifestation of your thoughts, your actions, your words, and your attitude in how you treat every situation in your life. Okay, so when we look at a person's identity, how they see themselves, all right, and how they project themselves to the rest of the world, and then how they see God and how they relate to God, it tells us a lot about the person, okay, and whether or not this person has the right identity, all right. So I'm going to show you this through... A few different stories, okay? And I want you to follow along with this because, you know, as I was studying this, it, it, it became really clear to me just how important each of these areas are, okay? Uh, so first, we're going to take a look at how people identify themselves and others, all right? Um, so let's go over to Luke chapter 18, and we're going to start at verse 9, all right? And... Uh, Jesus is telling a parable, and the parable that he is telling uh, is the one of 
the Pharisee and the tax collector as they are in the temple and they are praying. Okay? And I didn't put this in there. Uh, verses 13 and 14. Um, if you can put those in there real quick, I think it'll, uh, I think it'll tell the story a lot better. Um, so let's take a look at verse 9. Uh, so the Bible says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. So we have this Pharisee talking, or he's praying to God, and he's praying, and here's what's interesting. So the first thing he says is, I thank you. Mind you, this is a great thing to start off any prayer with to God, uh, thanking him for the things that he's done in your life, okay? Um, but that's just a quick side note. But he says, I thank you, God. Go back, go back, go back. He says, I thank you, God, that I am not. <laughs> then this is where it goes off the rails. Uh, because he he's thanks God first, and, and then he says, I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. Ah, <laughs> uh, Identity crisis, right? He doesn't realize that he's a sinner standing before a holy God whom is being so gracious and so merciful that he doesn't just strike him dead right there for lying about himself through his own pride and saying that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. Okay? So then he goes on to say, for I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. Like he's saying all these things, right? And maybe those things are true. Maybe. Maybe those things are true. I don't know. Uh, but then he commits the cardinal sin of relating himself to everyone else. And then he goes on and he makes it more pointed because then he points out the tax collector. Because I'm certainly not like that tax collector. Okay, so let me tell you real quick about the tax collectors in, um, in Israel. So these typically... Uh, were uh, people who were, obviously by their own name, they were taking taxes from the people and collecting them for Rome, okay? Uh, the Jewish people did not like the Romans because Rome had come in and occupied Israel and was taxing them, and in many cases were overtaxing them. And then on top of that, the tax collectors were t uh, taking a little bit off the top for themselves, so they were oppressing people economically, okay, and they were 
they were not looked highly upon by most people throughout the land of Israel. Okay? So that's the identity of the, the tax collector. And let's just go back to verse 12 real quick. Because here's the thing. Like, when you hear this prayer, this prayer is so ripe with pride. This prayer is so ripe with looking down the nose at somebody else. This prayer is so much about everybody else and what they're doing. Okay? And here's the, here's the crazy thing. You know, like I told you before, like sometimes when you go and you share the gospel with people who knew you, okay, they're not always going to be open. They're not always going to be willing to listen, okay, uh, because they knew you in your past, all right? So when the, uh, when the Pharisee is praying and he's pointing the finger at this Pharisee and he's shaking, he's wagging that finger, okay, he's talking about all the things that this tax collector has done, but he doesn't recognize, he does not point out any of the things that he's done. And this is where we need to spend a majority of our time uh, when we are Christians relating to God's word and using it as a mirror, okay? Not as a window pane where we can look through and we can see everything that everyone else is doing wrong. We need to be looking at it as a mirror to see what's wrong in us. Okay? So, this Pharisee clearly had it messed up. Okay? Because he was using his position of power. His, uh, uh, he was using his position of status because, I mean, let's, let's face it. He was one of the religious leaders at that time. And he was supposed to be reading and studying his Bible every day. And, you know, he knew all the things to say. He knew all the things to do, but he wasn't any closer to God as a result. Okay? He knew a lot of stuff, but he wasn't any closer to God. Okay? And as he's making all these statements, God is just sitting up there shaking his head, and he's like, he just doesn't get it. He really doesn't get it. Okay, it's not about what other people are doing. It's about what you're doing and what your relationship is with God. It will never be about what other people are doing. Where's your heart? That's what God wants to ask you. Where's your heart? And are you any closer to me because of what's in your heart? Okay, so let's go to verse 13. Because now we're going to shift gears and we're going to take a look at the tax collector. All right. And it says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven. He couldn't pick his own head up out of his own humility. But this Pharisee had his head raised up and his chest puffed up because of all the pride that he had about how good he thought he was in relationship to everybody else. 
But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. And he prayed this. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. This needs to be the heart cry of every person that is truly seeking after God, because you can't find God unless you search for him with your whole heart, and you cannot come anything closer to him than this right here, being humble by the fact that you are a sinner. You can't. You can't. Okay? Bible says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So you cannot come to God without humbling yourself. That's exactly what the tax collector did because he had the right identity, not only of himself, but with his relationship with God. Okay? He would not have been able to say that if he did not have that right relationship, if he did not have that right perspective. Okay? Uh, Verse 14. Then Jesus says this. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. When we have a right relationship, a right identity of ourselves, a right identity of who God is, it's only then that we can be justified, that we can be saved, okay? And this tax collector understood that. The Pharisee missed the point altogether, okay? Second part of that verse says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Okay? Uh, That word exalted means to be lifted up in a place of honor. Okay? Uh, The Pharisee had already lifted himself up because he was comparing himself to everybody else. He wasn't comparing himself to Jesus. He wasn't comparing himself to God. That's why his identity was so messed up. Okay, he was filled with pride, and because of that pride, he lifted himself up. God didn't lift him up. Okay, he was not justified before God. He was justified in his own eyes. But if you will humble yourself, and you will seek the mercy of God, and you will ask for forgiveness for your sins the way that this tax collector did, then you can be justified before God, okay? All right, so let's shift gears because I I showed you that from the perspective of human beings, but I want to show you that from a slightly different perspective because the reality is this, uh, that pride is at the center of how we see ourselves most of the time, okay? So let me show you this. In Isaiah chapter 14, This is a prophecy uh, by the prophet Isaiah, and in this prophecy, he is speaking about Satan. He is speaking about Lucifer. He is speaking about the devil and his fall from grace, okay? So, the Bible says this in verse 12 of Isaiah chapter 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, 
son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. You hear any pride in that? It reeks of pride. This was Satan's biggest sin. He was so prideful that it caused him to fall. Okay? He was... uh, It's incredible because all of these statements are I statements. I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside in the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb the highest heavens and be like the most high. He idolized God's power, his position, and his presence more than he idolized the presence and the person of God. He idolized God and everything that God could do instead of idolizing God himself. Okay, he idolized all the material things that God had access to and that God could create. But he missed the point. And the point is to idolize God himself. Okay, and that's what God is calling for us to do. To keep him in right relationship and keep him as the focus of our worship. The enemy wanted the focus of the worship to be himself. Just like the Pharisee, he used many I statements. I will do this. I am this. I am not like this sinner, this tax collector over here. I, I, I. But don't you know that I is at the center of pride? I is at the center of sin. I will always get you in trouble in your relationship with God. Unless you have the right identity to God. Always, always, without fail, okay? So let's shift gears and and let's look at this uh, in a little bit more of a broad scope Um, because I want you to see something that's really important here Um, because we, we often have issues of identity, and it's tied to several different things. Um, Go ahead and pull up the list. These are all the, well, maybe not all the ways. Uh, These are several different ways that people identify themselves and other people, okay? Uh, So, got some common things up there. Your name, you walk up, you introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Jimmy Rich. You know, uh, you uh, you identify yourself by the hobbies and interests that you have. Yes, you know, I'm, I'm a softball player. Um, you know, I used to be a world-class athlete, and, you know, now I'm just serving God. When it's terrible, you should be, look, I serve God, and I used to do all this other stuff, but I serve God. Like, that's what your identity should be, but we'll get into that a little bit later. I don't want to jump the gun too much. So, you know, we identify ourselves by what we do, our occupation. 
Okay, I'm an accountant, you know, I'm a janitor, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, whatever, okay. Um, we identify ourselves by our nationality. You know, uh, we got some folks here from, I, I know I saw Jessica in here earlier. Uh, she's from Puerto Rico. Uh, we got some folks uh, that are here from the Philippines. Yes? Okay. So, like, we can identify ourselves by our nationality. We can identify ourselves by political beliefs. Okay? Republican, Democrat, Independent. We can identify ourselves by the role that we play in our families. We got mothers. We got fathers in this room. Uh, we got brothers and sisters. Like, we can identify ourselves by any number of these things. Here's the problem, though. If your identity is grounded in these things and these things change somehow, it's going to affect the way that you treat the rest of the world. It will. I guarantee it. Okay? This is why you have uh, professional athletes. They play, uh, uh, they play professional sports from the time that they're like, or they play sports from the time that they're like three years old. They got a ball in their hands, all right? And then they play until they're 42, all right? And then they retire from the game, and they have a, such a hard time relating in life because they've grounded their identity in what they've done rather than something that won't change. Okay? This is why you, you see, uh, I cannot remember the name of him, but there was a billionaire who, uh, there was a billionaire who, he was worth, I think, like $9.9 billion. He made a, a few trades in the stock market, ended up losing half of his fortune. So from 9.9 .9 to about $4.5 billion, he ended up killing himself. Why? You still got $4.5 billion with a B dollars in your bank account. Why would you kill yourself? You know why? He grounded himself here. He grounded himself in his own economic status. Okay? He had no real reason, no real good reason to kill himself. But his identity drove him to kill himself. Because he wasn't, the, he wasn't half of the billionaire that he used to be. Now that sounds silly to some of us, but this kind of stuff happens every day. Every day. You know, you got people grounding themselves in, uh, <laughs> let's talk about politics. All right? You got people that profess Christianity, profess to love God, profess to love his word, that still agree with abortion. How? How? Now, I can go through and I can show you verses in the Bible where it talks about how God knew us in the womb, how he knit us together in the womb, okay? I can go through and I can show you Bible verses on how God destroyed entire nations because they were into infanticide, okay? I can show you all these different Bible verses where it talks about these things and where it talks about how God loves children, but you still have some people out there that because they're affiliated with one particular political party that 
promotes abortion. They've grounded their identity so much in their political ideology that they've distanced themselves from what God says in his word. Okay? I mean, you look at what's going on in... um, I mean, we were talking about economic status before. Uh, you know, look at, look at the Occupy Wall Street movement. How, how many of you guys remember that? Occupy Wall Street, okay, uh, where you had people protesting on the streets of, uh, on Wall Street, um, you know, and they were protesting about the economic inequalities that there were between the people that worked on Wall Street, and they called them the 1%, and then they were uh, calling themselves the 99%. Well, here's the reality. That is that is an American, a, a, a cultural thing here in America. Because the reality is, if you were to look at pay scales on a global basis, most of who lives here in the United States, the 330 million people that live here in the United States, most of us qualify in that 1%. I can guarantee you, go look it up. That's what the statistics show. But we've got all these different divides because of how people have grounded their identity. Okay? You've got people... uh, in the LGBTQ community, okay, that uh, that within the last five years or so have hijacked, well, first they hijacked the rainbow because, honestly, the rainbow was a covenant between God that he would never flood the earth again, okay, uh, and he only flooded the earth because of all the sin and the wickedness that people had done in order to start over with humanity, okay? So they've hijacked the meaning of the rainbow because that was God's covenant with mankind that he would never do that again, okay? But it's been hijacked and it's been perverted, again, because people don't have the right identity with God, okay? You've got, uh, uh, <laughs> you've got people out there that say that uh, there are over a hundred some odd uh, different genders right now. <laughs> I'm going to disprove that one to you. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. All right, so God is in the middle of creating things, and he says this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image. Let's pause there for a second uh, because I want to clarify this real quick. Um, When God talks about making human beings in his image, okay, he's not talking about a physical body, all right? What God is talking about is us having characteristics that are like him, like the ability to love one another, like the ability to have compassion, like the ability to have mercy towards one another, like the ability to understand and conceptualize the passage of time, like the ability to, uh, 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 like the ability to forgive people, okay? These are the traits that create that image because that is what God shows us, okay? So, 
It says, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. Okay? Then it says, they will reign over the fish and in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Next verse. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, next verse. Then it says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. Not it. Not non-binary. Not gender fluid. Like all these catchphrases that y'all hear in mainstream culture now. No. God, the creator of everything, created them male and female. That's it. Verse 28. He goes on to say after that that he wants them to be fruitful and multiply. Hmm. Let's think about this for a second. So, without being really graphic, uh, without having to talk about the birds and the bees, like, how do people become fruitful and multiply if you don't have one man and one woman? If you don't have male and female? You can't. Sorry, doesn't work. Does not work. Why? Because God has not ordained it to be that way. Okay? So the reality is this. You can say whatever you want to say about how your feelings are, but it won't change the reality. Okay? Uh, <laughs> I told the, the youth this one night, and I, I'll share this with you guys before I move on, get off this soapbox. Um, but, you know, most people don't know how transgender surgeries work. So I'm going to share with you real briefly how this works. Okay, so let's say we have a male that feels like he is a woman trapped in a male's body. Okay, we know that that's fictitious, but let's just run with that logic for just a second. Okay, so he goes, he tells the doctor, he says, hey doc, uh, you know, I feel like I'm a woman trapped in a male's body. I want to go ahead and have the surgery and, you know, uh, make it match my feelings, okay? So the doctor goes ahead and he does the surgery, okay? Three years later on, uh, this same person walks into a doctor's office, hasn't been feeling that great lately, and, you know, the doctor says, hey, well, we got to run all these tests and figure out what's going on with you. So after running the test, a couple weeks later, the results come back, and they say, hey, uh, so here's the thing. Like, we thought you were a woman, but the test results show that you have prostate cancer. And it's not possible for a woman to have prostate. So how's this work? You know why it works? Because they don't remove the prostate when you have that chain surgery. And the thing is, you can say whatever you want to say about how you feel. It's not going to change your genetics. Your genetics are not going to lie. They're always going to agree with reality and with God. They will never agree with your feelings. Okay? Any more than if I were to walk into a bank today and I were to say, hey, uh, walk up to the, the, the teller and I say, hey, 
uh, I'd like to go ahead and take a million dollars out of my account. You know, the bank teller goes and he looks on the computer and they're like, I'm sorry, Ms. Mr. Johnson, I can't do that. Uh, and I'm like, why not? And they say, well, you don't have a million dollars in your bank account. And I said, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I identify as a millionaire. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sorry. I identify as a millionaire. So I need to get that million dollars. All right. They're going to look at me like I got a third eye in the middle of my forehead because I don't match reality. Okay? So here's the thing. You know, we have all these politicians and all these woke uh, 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 corporate heads that want to kowtow to this mentality when it's like, okay, if I walked up to any one of them and, and, and if I walked up to the CEO of my company today and say, hey, um, yeah, um, I'm going to go ahead and need a raise from you. They're going to be like, why? Uh, because I'm now the CEO of this company. They're going to look at me and be like, guess what? You're fired. And then I'm not going to have a raise. Then I'm going to have to look for a job. Okay? Because what I'm saying doesn't match reality. We got to stop this foolishness about allowing people to indulge their fantasies that don't match reality. And we got to tell, we got to be bold enough to tell people the truth. Like, this is foolishness. Okay? Because it does not match the word of God. It does not match what the creator has ordained us to be. And it is not our identity. Okay? So, let's go ahead and move on. Um, I have an answer, maybe. I'm sorry? Not being able to multiply and also an issue of uh, genetics. Like, your, your, your chromosomes are not going to change based on your feelings. Absolutely. Well, here's the thing. God gives us all sorts of commands and promises, okay? Um, and he expects us to be obedient to them. Now, he also gives us the power of choice. Just like the devil had the power of choice as a created being, okay, he gives us that power of choice. And this is why we have sin in the world today. Because Adam and Eve chose to not do what God told them to do, okay, and they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay? They learned about, the, they learned about good and evil from their own sin, okay? So... You know, we, the Bible talks about how uh, we can either be blessed or cursed based on our obedience to God. Okay? So, again, it comes down to a choice. Are you going to choose to follow God and believe what he said because it's 100% true? Or are you going to choose to do your own thing? Uh, it is not your obligation to have children. Uh, it is the mandate, uh, without getting too deep into um, uh, theology, um, we, have a, we have a mandate to follow God, okay, uh, and everything that he has set before us, okay, but we also have choice because he wanted us to be, uh, he wanted us to be beings that chose to love him and not be robots, 
okay? So he gave us the power of choice, understanding that there are going to be times that we choose to disobey, okay? But he also gave us the opportunity to be made right with him because of the sacrifice that he made for us with Jesus Christ on the cross, all right? So our responsibility is to do the best that we can to obey him, okay? His responsibility to us is to sustain us and to move us towards a point where one day we're going to step outside of this physical presence and we're going to stand before him. Okay? Where we stand in relationship to that, where we stand in relationship to that is our choice. Okay? And I, I can have more conversation with you on that later on, but let me, let me just get back into this. Okay? So... Our identity and, and how our identity is grounded, okay? Uh, can you bring that list back up, please? So people tend to ground themselves in these things, okay? But like I told you before, the, the fallacy of these things is that these things can change. And the reality is this, you know, these are not a person's identity. These are descriptors. These are labels, okay? These are only characteristics of who a person is in a given context. I am a father when I am at home and I'm speaking to my children, okay? I am an elder when I'm here standing on this stage and I am teaching, okay? I am... Uh, 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 I am a therapist, Okay, when I'm on my job, like these are all descriptors of things that I do, but they are not my identity. I will never ground my identity in any of these things. Okay, my identity needs to be grounded in Christ alone. Okay, so uh, let's move on uh, because that's how we identify ourselves in mainstream culture tends to identify us. But let's take a look at how we identify God and Jesus because this is really important too, okay? So let's go to Exodus chapter 5. We're going to take a look at verse 1, okay? Now, in our opening verses, in our, our source text, we looked at Moses being commissioned by God to go to the Israelites and to tell them that God was going to deliver them from slavery in Egypt. He also told Moses that he was going to send him before Pharaoh in order to make this declaration. Now, this fast forwards us to this point in time. After this presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went to speak to Pharaoh. They told him this. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Verse 2. Is that so? Now watch this, because this is crazy. Watch this. So Pharaoh's response, is that so, retorted Pharaoh. And who is the Lord? Who is he? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not. Let Israel go. Can anybody sort of like taste the arrogance in that statement? Pharaoh 
Let me give you a little background. So this is Egyptian culture. And in Egyptian culture, at this particular point in time, they had many gods. They lived in what was called a polytheistic society. So they worshipped many gods, the god of the sun, the god of the river, uh, the god of the plants. Like they, they worshipped many, 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 many gods. Okay, And here's the crazy thing. Moses and Aaron are coming and talking to Pharaoh about the God of the Israelites. And this is crazy. Like, there was no way on God's green earth that Pharaoh was ever going to respect the God who he had enslaved their people. He was never going to respect the God of heaven. He was never going to respect the God of these people who they had enslaved for 400 years. He was never going to respect him, and that's why he can speak with this letter, this level of arrogance and boldness and says, who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him? Because I'm the, I'm the big dog here. I'm the power in this land. I've enslaved your people, but you want me to listen to him? Why? Why should I? This is the, and then he, he gives the, 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 uh, the most telling statements of all. He says, I don't know the Lord. Like I told you guys before, many of the problems that we see in society today is because people do not have a right relationship and the right identity of who God is. They don't know God. Okay? Now, this particular story is about a pagan who didn't know God. Let me show you about who does know God or who should know God. Let's move on. Let's go to uh, let's go to Mark chapter 14. All right. Because in this particular story, we have Jesus after he had been arrested and brought into this kangaroo court uh, with these trumped up charges. All right. We have the Pharisees and they're questioning Jesus and they're drilling into him uh, and they're beating him physically and we come to this point in the story where the high priest is asking Jesus questions. And he, he says this. He says, then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? And here's what's funny. So not every question that people ask you needs an answer especially when you understand that the answers that they're looking for are based on false assumptions. Okay? So Jesus knew that about the religious leaders. Okay? He knew that they were trying to lie on him about his character. He knew that they were trying to lie about him, about everything that he claimed he was. Okay? So... When we move on, verse 61, the Bible says this, but Jesus was silent and made no reply. So I'm guessing that because he was silent, that angered the high priest because then he went straight for the kill. Then he asked Jesus a question that he knew if he were to get a straight answer would totally tip the scales in this conversation because then he asked him 
Then the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? So what's interesting about this question is that Jesus had been saying for a while who he was. Jesus had been saying for a while things like, I and the Father am one. Jesus had been teaching in the synagogues, repeatedly talking about who he was, so much to the point that there were people that were coming to hear him speak that were asking the same exact question. Is this the one? Is this the Messiah? Is this the one that would come from the house of David? This is what the people were saying about Jesus. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they didn't like it. Because it upset the, 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 the power structure within Israel. Okay, because up to that point in time, everything in Israel's society revolved around what happened with the church. Okay, you couldn't be made right with God unless you gave sacrifices where? At the temple. Okay, you had to make sure that you were coming and participating in certain festivals during the year that were given in Jerusalem. Okay, so all of their power structure was being shaken up because Jesus was coming and he was telling the religious leaders that you guys are hypocrites. And he told them to their face. And they didn't like it. So when we come to here, they're looking for a reason to kill him. So they ask him this question. Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And this is what Jesus replies in verse 62. Jesus said, remember that name we talked about before with God? I am. And when he said this, Jesus was not just declaring that I am all the stuff that you just said. He was declaring the same way that God declared to Moses, I am the one. I am the all-powerful. I am the almighty. I am the all-knowing. And he was setting himself as a co-equal with God. And this enraged them. They were hot after this. Okay? So much so to the point where uh, they declared it blasphemy and they were like, do we even need to ask any more questions? What shall we do with him? Crucify him. That's what happened. Okay? Now, these are people. Go back to uh, verse 61 real quick. Now, the religious leaders, I told you guys before that they were, uh, they were very well studied in, the, in the, the book of the law. So they knew what the prophecy said about Jesus. They knew that he would be born in Bethlehem. They knew all of these different characteristics about him. But when the high priest asked this question, are you the Messiah? It wasn't because he was really trying to identify him as the Messiah as much as he was trying to crucify him. Because, again, they didn't like the things that Jesus was saying about them. Okay? So, these are folks that should have had a right relationship with God, but they didn't. You know, this, this is what's kind of crazy about it. Like, they were well studied in the word. So, um, you know, 
it just goes to show you no matter how much Bible you know, uh, no matter how much, you know, you are well-read, doesn't mean that you have a right relationship with God. And that ought to keep each and every one of us humble. Okay? Because the reality is, like, you can have a ton of head knowledge and not be any closer to God. Because God is seeking those whom would worship him in spirit and in truth. God is wanting those who are seeking after him with their whole heart in order to meet them where they are and pull them up. Okay? Remember, the Pharisees were into exalting themselves and they were into lifting themselves up before other people so that other people could focus on them and the good things that they were doing. But God is looking to lift people up himself that are looking for mercy, that are humble, that know that they are sinners. Those are the people who he's going to meet and draw unto himself, okay? Those that have the right identity about themselves, all right? So let's shift gears because we've been talking about uh, how we identify ourselves, we've been talking about how we identify God and uh, uh, Jesus, but let's talk about how God identifies us, okay? In 1 Samuel chapter 16, at verse 7, um, we see the prophet Samuel, and he is going, uh, he is going out to anoint the next king, who would be King David. Um, and he's going out, uh, to do so because the Bible teaches us that, uh, that God had left Saul, who was the first king of Israel. And it teaches us that, um, you know, God, God looks at us very differently than the way that we look at ourselves. So, as the, the prophet Samuel, he's gone to the house of Jesse, and uh, he's told them that, you know, we, um, I want to offer sacri a sacrifice to the Lord in your presence. And he's looking to anoint one of Jesse's sons. All of Jesse's sons, or all of, uh, all of David's older brothers, are brought, before, um, are brought before the prophet. And... The Bible gives us some very keen insight uh, as to how, I, how God identifies uh, the people whom he chooses, okay? So the Bible says this, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height. Let's pause there for a second. These are all outward manifestations, okay? Much like the things that were on that list that I showed you before. Those were mostly outward manifestations, okay? So it says, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. You guys ever heard the, the saying, don't judge a book by its... Yeah, you guys have heard that, right? 
God does not look at our cover because guess what? He doesn't care about the story that we've written for ourselves. He cares about the story that he is looking to write in you. Okay? So while you are still here on this earth, that story is still being written. Are you allowing God to write that story for you? Okay? Are you looking for God to identify you in who you are and take you to places that are, are divine for his purposes? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter six, uh, excuse me, Proverbs 19:21, it says that we can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Okay? You can do anything that you want in life, but if it does not align with God's purposes for your life, guess what's not going to happen? Okay? This is why we need to understand what our purpose is in God's economy. This is why we need to understand what God's purpose is in our life. Because we can tread water and we can try and kick, scream, yell, and try and move in a certain direction. But if it goes outside of what God has ordained for us to do, guess what's not going to happen? You're not going to get there. Okay? So, God tells us that he looks at the heart of the individual. And we know that David would go on to do many great things, and we know that David would go on to do some jacked up things too. Okay? And the reality is that the Bible says that David was described by God as a man after his own heart. God is more concerned with what's going on in your heart than he is with anything else. Why? Because what's in your heart is going to drive the actions, thoughts, words, and your attitude. And will define how you relate to the world. That will become your identity. Okay? Let's move to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 13. The Bible says this, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. Let's pause there for a second. When you believed in Christ, notice it does not say when you believed that Christ died on a cross for your sins. Okay? There is a big difference between belief in versus a belief that. When you place your belief in Jesus, okay, you are placing your belief and your faith in the fact that he came, he died on that cross, and that he will one day save you from the penalty of your own sins. Okay? If you are putting your faith in those things, and you have a heart that has confessed your sins to God, you will be saved. That's what the Bible teaches us. Romans 10, 9. Okay? So, if you only have a belief that what you have is head knowledge, but you don't have a heart connection, okay? You need to have a belief in him as the only way to get to heaven because that's what he has said about himself. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, and Jesus is speaking about himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. 
okay? If you believe that he is the only way to get to heaven and you have confessed your sins before God and you said to God, I am a sinner, please forgive me, please help me to turn from my sin and walk with Jesus, you will be saved. That is what it means to have a belief in him as the only way to get to heaven. Then after that, it says, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you. And this is why I said at the beginning, it is so crazy that God put it on Ken's heart that we would sing, for he knows my name this morning. Does he know your name? Absolutely. He knows each and every person, okay? But do you know his? Because in our opening verses, it talked about how God's name, Yahweh, would be remembered forever among his people. Do you know God? Okay? When you pass on from this life, the most important question that you are going to get I don't care if you're a believer or a non-believer, is this. What did you do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? What did you do? Okay? If the answer is that you rejected it and that you said to God and the world, I don't want to have anything to do with God, okay, then you have basically chosen for yourself. I don't want to be with God in heaven forever. So there's only other, one other place that you can go, and you will have chosen to go to hell. Sad reality, but true, and many people choose it, okay? However, that question applies not only to non-believers, but it applies to believers too, because the Great Commission teaches us that we need to go out into the world and to make disciples out of people. You don't make disciples out of people unless you share the gospel with people. So the question is, are you sharing the gospel that Jesus Christ gave to you? Are you doing that? Now listen, like you don't have to be the world's greatest theologian. You don't have to be an elder in the church. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be an evangelist in the sense that, you know, you get up on TV or on radio and you are preaching the gospel to people. But the reality is, do you know the gospel enough to say, listen, this is what the gospel is, all right, that Jesus Christ came, died on a cross roughly 2,000 years ago. He died for all the sins of mankind and that the Bible teaches us that all sin has to be paid for. Are you willing to pay for your own sins, or do you want Jesus Christ to pay that sin for you? Like, that's the gospel, 30 seconds, just like that, okay? That's what you need to know, and then after that, you need to tell people, listen, like, this is what God has done in my life, okay? And, like, I, I think we overcomplicate it sometimes, and we feel like, like we got to dress up in a suit and, you know, uh, thump our Bible and, and, you know, preach that hell is hot, which it is. But, like, we, we overcomplicate the way that we deliver the gospel to people. The gospel is supposed to be the good news. Okay? So the gospel should never be taught about just God's law and justice without God's love. Okay? So, yes, John... John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever 
should place their belief in him would have, ever, would have everlasting life. Okay, but that, sh- that particular verse, it shows both God's justice because sin will be punished. Okay, and that sin will either have been punished by Jesus on your behalf because you've accepted the gift of salvation or that sin will be paid by you because you have refused the gift. Okay, I can't go to a birthday party for Jimmy and say, hey, Jimmy, uh, here's this card. I, I got this for you. Uh, It's got some tickets to go see the Cubs. Uh, I want you to take this. And if I give it to him, but he doesn't accept it, is he going to the game? No. Why? Because he refused the free gift that I gave him. The gospel is the same way. Okay? People are going to refuse the free gift that the gospel is, but it's our job to go out there and give it to people if they will take it. It's just like a pamphlet that you get when you're standing, uh, uh, when you're walking out of a grocery store and someone hands you a pamphlet. You can choose to accept it or you can choose to reject it. It's your choice. But here's the thing, you know, if you make the choice in the affirmative, it can change your life forever and ever and ever. But if you choose to reject it, it can put you on a path to total annihilation forever and ever and ever. That is eternity. It lasts forever. Where will you be in eternity? That's the question. The answer is somewhere within you, somewhere within me. We live in a society where we are at a crossroads and our identity is called into question every single day. And the reality is that because we often choose to ground ourselves in all those things that were on that list I showed you earlier, we lose touch with the fact, we can very easily lose touch with the fact that we are supposed to be Christians on mission for God. It's very easy for us to slip into just being a basketball fan or being a Gator fan or just being mom or dad or being any of these things that, again, are just supposed to describe the role and the function that we have in that particular situation versus being a Christian who is on mission that happens to be a parent, that happens to be an accountant, that happens to be a Republican or Democrat or whatever, okay? We need to understand that the way that the world sees us needs to be so radical that it's, it's almost like uh, 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 when Paul and Silas, they were going and they were preaching in Thessalonica and uh, the people that were there, some of the people started to believe and then there were other people who turned around and they were like, oh no, they're, they're, uh, um, we're going to rise up a, a, a mob against them because those Christians are turning the world upside down for Christ. Are you doing that? 
Are you turning the world upside down? Are you doing things that are so radical through God's love and through the, uh, the things that he's doing in your life? Are you doing things in such a way that people are looking at you and they're saying, look, man, I don't know what it is about you. You're not like these folks over here. And they're saying that because you don't fit the stereotypical mold that they've already created for you that falls on that list. Even if they identify you as a Christian, you're not the type of Christian that they heard about. The bigoted Christian, the Christian that wags their finger and thumps their Bible at people. Why? Because you're loving on them the way that Christ loved on you. You identify differently to them, so you're breaking the mold that they had in their head. You're breaking outside of the box that they put you in. Are you doing that? Because that's what Christ did to people. He did not fit the mold of the religious leader, but many people called him teacher. Many people followed after him because he wasn't the way that the Pharisees were. And they were amazed at the things that he did because he spoke with authority and he truly loved and blessed people. He truly had compassion on people. Are you that type of Christian? Is that how you identify yourself? Because, again, when you ground your identity in being this type of Christian, you do and you say things differently that will positively point back to God. Okay? You break that mold. You break the identity that people have given you. And you show them your true identity in Christ. Come on, Victor. Listen. It should never be said of us that we identify first with anything other than Christ. I stand here before you with the color of my skin being brown with an ethnic background that for most of you in this room, you would look at me and you would say, he's an African-American male. But if you only judge me on my appearance, you would miss the fact that I'm also half Puerto Rican. Most of y'all don't know that in this room. What? Say what? See? Most of y'all don't know that. Well, now you do. But again, it's because human beings look upon that outward appearance. Right? And for most of my Christian life, I've been trying to fight the stereotype of who people want me to be based on this outward appearance. I have fought against the stereotypical uh, uh, the stereotypical black male persona uh, in order to show people that Christ is in me. Okay? I have fought against uh, this persona of being the typical gator fan who hates the Seminoles. Where's Henry at when you need him? 
you know, I have fought against, you know, w- what it means to be, um, you know, uh, middle-aged male, like, living in society. Like, I mean, I teach kids from week to week. I love being around the kids, right? Uh, and I love being around kids because it gives me the opportunity to pour into folks in a way that's very unique because their minds are so impressionable and they're looking for true leadership. They're looking for people to speak truth to them so that they can go and do great things in life. I want that to be the reality for these young folks, okay? I want it to be said when I have to stand before God one day and give a, t- give a testimony to what I did, that I did this because of what he put in me. Okay? You know, and, and I will tell you this, it, it has not been easy. Like, it really has not been easy. Um, you know, I've been accused of being an Uncle Tom I recently had someone ask me in my own family, you know, uh, when did you give up your black card? And I will tell you, uh, living through all of the insults that I've gotten over the years, especially since being a Christian, I will tell you this. uh, Before Christ, those things may have hurt me. They may have Uh, insulted me but you know how much I could care not a lick because I know that the assumptions that people have about me and my identity one are not grounded in truth two they are not what God has to say about me and my identity and three guess what I don't care how you feel because I'm not accountable to you any more than you are accountable to me. I'm only accountable to God. And I need to own the identity that I have with him. And I need to respect and honor the identity that he has in my life. You should too. It is so important for us to remember that because the culture that we live in today wants to divide us. Many of the things that you saw on that list are things that divide us. Economic class, uh, uh, ethnic background, um, you know, the issue of of marriage, the issue of, um, you know, uh, male and female and what is a woman and like all these other things. Um, All those things are deceptive and divisive tools of the devil to pull us apart, to move us towards chaos. And as long as I have the opportunity to stand in a pulpit or stand before your children as I teach them on Wednesday nights or to stand in uh, uh, in front of people on my job and to, uh, to stand in front of people in public and declare this word, I will do so boldly 
and without apology. Because I know who I am. I know who you are. And it is not defined by any one particular person. It is only defined by God. So, my challenge to you is to remind yourself each and every day that you have a choice as to how you are going to ground your identity. Will you choose to be a Christian first in all those other areas of your life? Or will you choose to be something else on that list? And then remember, oh yeah, it's Wednesday. I'm a Christian today. I got to go to Bible study. It's Sunday. I got to go to church. It's your choice. It's your choice. But we have to choose to step outside of the comfort zone of all of those descriptors, all of those labels, and to call ourselves Christian first, because that is the only way that we are going to reach and touch this culture for God, period. If we truly believe that, we have to own it and we have to walk in it every day. And I know it's not easy. I know (laughs) from the many, many, many trials that I've had in my life, especially since becoming a Christian. So just in closing, um, I want you to pray about and I want you to think about who you are in Christ and all that he has done for you and all that he wants you to be. Remember, Proverbs 19.21, we can make many plans, but, you know, the Lord's purpose will prevail. Think about God's purpose in your life. Think about the fact that he wants you to identify that way because it grounds you in order to go out into the culture and to be a world changer on his behalf. Whether we're at the job, whether we're at Publix, whether we are serving in food and clothing, You know, we have an opportunity to touch people in many different ways and minister to people on God's behalf. We can only do so from a pure heart and one that identifies as Christian first before all those other things. All right? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for identifying us as your own. God, thank you that you have made us with unique abilities, that you have endowed us with your presence. God, thank you that you have created us to be image bearers for you. God, we ask that you work on our hearts and and help us to put less value, to put less pride in those other descriptive things and to value more than anything that we are Christians, that we are yours first. God, we pray and we ask that each of us would be ambassadors to the kingdom of heaven and that you would work through us and that you would speak through us and that you would reach many people for Christ. God, we ask that you continue to work through the ministries that we have here 
in this body of Christ and that you would reach and touch many people with your love, with your compassion, with your mercy and your grace. And God, we pray as we walk away from this place today uh, that you would send us out the way that you sent the disciples out to reach and touch each and every person that we can with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the ALCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at alcfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to alcfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.